Good evening and welcome to this, this event, this, tonight's lecture is part of the Sydney Ideas series. Um, this is a public lecture series that the University of Sydney runs and I'm delighted tonight to be able to chair this evening's lecture. My name's Marion Baird. I'm Professor of Gender and Employment Relations in the University of Sydney Business School and I also direct a research group we have called the Women and Work Research Group. Uh, before I move on in to introducing our wonderful speaker tonight, I would like to acknowledge the um, traditional owners of the land upon which we meet, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. It's upon their ancestral lands that the University of Sydney is built, and as we share our knowledge, our teaching and learning and our research practices within this university, May we also pay respect to the knowledge embedded forever within the Aboriginal custodianship of the country. So tonight, it's my absolute pleasure to introduce you to Gabriella Ramos. Um, Gabriella is going to present a lecture tonight called Investing in Gender Equality for Growth. Um, once we've had the lecture, we will have some time for discussion and questions, but I have to warn you that we have to have Gabriella out of the building <laughs> by quarter to um, seven. Um, she and Andreas have to get to the airport. They're on a flight back to Paris. So, uh, quarter to... Yeah, quarter to seven. So, okay, um, <laughs> you can't go until we hear from you. Um, it's been wonderful. I've only just met Gabriella this evening but I can already tell we have a great um, simpatico. She's very interested in the sorts of issues we are, in how gender equality builds into the way in which we can have a productive economy as well as a productive society. And I think that's a really important aspect of, of the work that um, you're doing. Gabriella Ramos is Chief of Staff of the OECD and Sherpa to the G20. Now, many of us do not live in that world, so understanding what a Sherpa was was something I just had to learn, and I've decided I need a Sherpa as well. <laughs> Sherpas are wonderful people, very well organised, and they make decisions for the leaders of the country. So these are the people you really do need to be in contact with, and um, we feel very privileged to have you here this evening. Um, in, in your position, um, and you've been in that position since 2006, according to your well, bio. Well, I was and then I was... Okay, and so you're the boss even, right? That's wonderful. Um, Gabriella has been advising and supporting the Secretary-General's strategic agenda to reinforce the impact of the work of the OECD, both at the international governance sphere and the domestic mm -hmm. level in OECD member and partner countries. And of course, this is very important in Australia as we lead up to the G20 meeting in November in Brisbane, and Gabriella will be back for that. Gabriella developed the targeted policy advice through the Better Policy series and the Getting It Right publications. It's worthwhile looking on the website because there are some very good publications there that are useful for our research area and, and really getting a broad understanding of the work that is going on. Um, Gabrielle also supports the Secretary-General when launching major OECD initiatives such as the Gender Initiative, the Development Strategy and the Skills Strategy and is now overseeing new approaches to economic challenges, a whole-of-house reflection which started in 2012 to distill the lessons from the economic crisis and to upgrade the analytical frameworks that underpin OECD policy advice. Um, 
I'd like to just say at that point, of course, OECD advice and publications and information is very central to the work that researchers do too, and we often quote the work, so it's very important to know how authentic and valid and reliable that research is. Previously, Gabriella served as head of the OECD office in Mexico and Latin America, where she promoted OECD, OECD recommendations in many areas, including health and education. Gabriella helped in the preparation of several OECD reports in Mexico, developed the OECD forum in Mexico, and launched the Getting It Right flagship series there. Um, I could go on with with more of Gabriella's background, but I think at this point, and given the time, we really want to hear what you have to say. So Gabrielle, a warm welcome to Sydney University and um, to this evening's event, and we really look forward to hearing you. Thank you, and investing in general quality for growth. Thank you, thank you. This is this is really a very nice presentation, Maria. Thank you very much. Uh, actually, I have to say that, that I am honored to be here. Um, I'm accompanied by Andrea Schaaf, who is the head of the Sherpa unit and who really does the work, <laughs> and then I present it. Uh, but we we, um, we have been traveling to Australia since uh, you got the presidency, so we're very happy that uh, you got the presidency because we would have never got this uh, privilege of visiting different cities, uh, getting around. Today we just have three hours free, and, and so we, we have the... Uh, the luck of uh, knowing a little bit of uh, Sydney. Uh, we work very closely with uh, with Heather Smith, who is the uh, um, uh, Sherpa of Australia, and who works with your Prime Minister, and it's a she, which is interesting. Uh, previously, we had also a she heading uh, the Russian E20, and a Mexican she. So it was interesting that the three last uh, summits have been prepared by a, a woman. Although the men also did very well, I have to say, <laughs> in France and in Korea and in some other places. Um, I want to share with you what we're doing in the context of the G20 on gender issues because I think it's very interesting to try to gather these uh, countries that are the major engines of the world economy to think about uh, gender issues uh, not from the very broad perspective of all the aspects related to uh, uh, a gender agenda. But, but particularly from the perspective of economic growth and economic recovery. Because that's what the G20 focus on. Uh, and we believe that uh, if we manage to frame uh, gender issues uh, with an economic rationale to build the, the economic case for, for women, uh, you might have more chances than what we have had when you frame it in some other ways, as important, human rights or uh, non-violence or, or, or uh, rights of speaking, all these things are, are important, but uh, they belong to another category. What we do at the G20 is really trying to look uh, at the world economy and how we uh, take advantage of all the forces we have to uh, perform much better than what we have done. So let me tell you how we did it, uh, because at the OECD, as Marianne mentioned, uh, we developed the gender strategy. This gender strategy was just looking at how women uh, perform in education, in employment and in entrepreneurship, in the OECD economies, which are the most advanced economies of the world, but also uh, in uh, in all the countries that we work with, we work with the key uh, key uh, emerging economies, and, and so uh, we were exactly looking what policies promote uh, better performance of women in these three areas. We brought that then to the G20 because we believe that the shape of the global economy is really 
not in the best, uh, is it, not performing as, as we would have liked it to see. Uh, we are seven years after the worst economic crisis, uh, and we haven't seen a rebound of the global economy as we would have liked, or as we would have expected. Because uh, you know, and if, uh, several of you are economists, you know that sometimes when you have these big economic shocks, the rebound is almost natural. Uh, but this has not happened. We're always, every quarter, looking at the figures, and sometimes they are very good, and sometimes they're very bad. They are very uneven. Some regions lagging behind really badly, like Europe. Uh, some others doing better. Australia did better in the crisis, but it's, it's not uh, safe from the from the impact of, the, of what is happening in the international economy. Um, the U.S. up and down, uh, very very volatile. So so we believe that there 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 is need for a stronger action uh, in terms of uh, trying to look at the sources of growth that will really get us out of this uh, very important uh, shock that we uh, have lived. So this is how we um, shape it in the in the T20. First, what I'm saying, the, the growth, bumpy and very subdued. Um, instead of really trying to have a, a strong rebound, uh, what we are perceiving is that uh, there are many forces that are dragging down the economy, and it seems that the impact of the financial crisis has been really, really hard and difficult to recover. There are many uh, explanations of why the, re the rebound has been so weak, uh, and therefore there are many. Uh, there, is, there is a strong need to take a concerted action to overcome these uh, not very um, exciting uh, prospects. Um, take a look at this. I think this is amazing because this is what happened to the world economy compared to previous episodes of crisis or of, the, of a downturn of the global economy. Uh, the red, uh, the green line is the, our crisis, <laughs> although I have many crises because I'm Mexican. <laughs> but, but this one is ours, it's the world crisis. Uh, the previous one are the crisis in the, in the advanced economies of the 70s, uh, you remember the old shocks, uh, and the 80s uh, where there was also a, a steep downturn. As I said, all of those were very strong shocks, but then you have a very strong rebound. In the 2000, in, in, the, in the financial crisis that, that we experienced, you have seen that there is no strong rebound, and it's very bumpy. It comes up and down, and therefore uh, there is no, no way to recover what we have lost in terms of unemployment, in terms of uh, productive capacities of the economy, uh, and therefore this really requires a, a much concerted action. Uh, some of the cylinders of growth, uh, again, performing subpar, trade, sometimes doing good, sometimes doing bad, every quarter it changes, but still, uh, when you compare it to the long-term trends of trade, of trade, of how much uh, it matters for growth, uh, it's, it's really below uh, the historical uh, uh, data that we have, um, and it has to do, of course, with the capacities of the economies and the, and the demand, which is very, very uh, down. Uh, fixed investment is not recovering, so th there are many elements that are explaining why these uh, perspectives or the growth perspectives are, are not uh, getting into the good uh, level. The social cost of the crisis, huge in terms of unemployment, in terms of long-term unemployment, in terms of unemployment of youth. Uh, there are many stories on, in this graph because this, these are the average, and the average looks back 
but if you start to see in how much uh, different sectors of the population were hit by the crisis, the low skill, those that were working in the construction, those related to real estate, where they really suffer uh, a great uh, shock, uh, is, is looking really not good. Uh, Europe, again, I think this is one of the areas that is uh, more worrisome. Uh, but still, in many other uh, countries, the unemployment level uh, is, is pretty high. And if you see the, the gray line, that's the OECD average, and, and, and it's 8%. It's just it's huge. It's really very, very high. And the problem is that once you get these uh, people out of jobs or out of markets, uh, to get them back, and to make sure that they do not, uh, that their skills do not depreciate, or that they do not lose this connection to the to the to the productive activities, is very difficult. And this is something that is uh, really worrying uh, the ministers that come to the OECD and the and the leaders of in the G20, uh, because this is going to have long-lasting scars in the life of people, but also in the in our in our economy. So this is this is the story. The productivity also lagging behind. Uh, it's, it's again linked to the to the shock in the productive capacities, and but probably also because there is a, a, a frontier, technological <laughs> frontier that some of these countries that we're representing there uh, were facing. Australia good enough, and and Australia is one of the countries that we like to quote at the OECD for having done a good job in terms of the reforms that were implemented uh, uh, in the past decade and that it shows it pays. So we always use Australia when we're trying to convince the French or the Spanish or the Italians to go to these very difficult reforms uh, because there is empirical evidence of how far com competition reforms, productivity reforms uh, help uh, increase the, the perspectives for growth and the output potential of the economy is shown here. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's flattening, so don't get very excited. <laughs> don't sit in your laurels because uh, reform processes are permanent and, and that's, that's the beauty, but also that's the that's difficulty that it never ends. And then some of the, of the additional challenges, because it's not only the question of getting rid of the, of the impact of the crisis in terms of uh, trying to, again, put the economic basis and the productive capacities in better shape, to get the financial system to start lending, to get the unemployment, to get a job, to upskill those people that are out of jobs. Uh, the fact is that we are also uh, facing some real challenges that are looming in the horizon, which is this uh, aging of the population. In half of the countries in the G20, they will be experiencing a very increased uh, drop of uh, uh, Jews. And, and of course, the, the, the cohort of older, uh, the, the older population is going to grow fast. Look at the graph of Korea, which is amazing. Because Korea now is one of the youngest countries in, in the OECD. The population is young. But, but because of their demographic characteristics, in, in, by 2040, it will be one of the oldest. And so this is a real challenge because, of course, there is a steep drop in fertility rate. Uh, Korea does not, uh, is not uh, favored by strong migration. There is no migration. Uh, because the U.S., for example, is always benefiting from that. Their fertility rate can drop, but they will always have uh, migrants coming in. France is the same. 
but if you see Japan or Korea or, or China, is really uh, in, in pretty much shape. Australia is doing well again. <laughs> so it's a, it's a good story. Uh, but in terms of the interconnectedness of the global economy, the dynamics of these different economies, you, you cannot say, well, Australia is doing great and that's it. Because the fact is that you need to be interlinked with all of these other economies that are going to be facing these very important uh, challenges. So there are many uh, uh, responses that uh, the OECD has been uh, trying to advance. Uh, Marianne mentioned the skills strategy. How do we use better the skills that are already in the market? And how do we do better to train our students to be much better prepared for the challenges of the, of, of the economy? Uh, Knowledge-based capital, so economies can invest in, in, the, in the technological uh, um, in inputs that will uh, improve their performance. Um, the environmental strategy, of course, the green growth strategy, how do we deal societies that are much more considerate with the constraints that the nature imposes on us. Um, so there are many elements of the policy mix that we believe should be considered when you try to get out of this very, very difficult environment. And it's very difficult. I think that we all should be very uh, aware of the fact that there have been seven years and even if you don't feel it, uh, we live in Europe, Andreas and I live in Europe, and we see it every day. The deterioration of the social fabric, the, 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 the heaviness of, of, of every quarter of getting to see that you're still in the red numbers, so that, that the family doesn't find a job is, is really heavy, and, and that's why I believe the work of the G20, whatever the G20 can do, is really important. One of the aspects that we believe could contribute to uh, this, uh, to answer some of the challenges is, is the gender uh, economic empowerment or the economic empowerment of women. And, and why do we think so? Well, it's pretty simple. You have half of the population of the world's economy uh, that is not being utilized in its full potential. And that's a fact. Um, I was telling Andreas that when I, when I go to Mexico and I said, Yes, we need to get jobs for women. We need to get them in the labor market. Some of my friends said, like, don't help me, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but let's make it an option. If you want to be home, it's because you decided to be home. But not because it's so difficult to conciliate the family life, your children, your husband, your, that then the market is just not recognizing the needs of, of this very special section of the population that has different needs. And therefore, if we really want to take advantage of all the resources that the economy has to be productive and to be healthy and to be sustainable, uh, then let's take a look at, at what are the obstacles that are preventing so many women to participate in the productive activities and, and in the, in the uh, process of their, of their uh, countries. So we started to look uh, what would be uh, the ideal world in which we try to uh, equalize uh, the labor participation of women in the G20 countries. Um, and it's amazing because this is the gender gap in labor force participation for the age between <coughs> to 64. And what you see there is that you have a very varied, it's, it's, it's very uneven. In Canada, you have seven point difference in terms of how many men you have in the labor market and how many women you have. So it's about 80 uh, against 73, not that bad. Uh, for Germany, it's 10%. Uh, uh, in the other stream, you have uh, 
my country is uh, not doing very well uh, with 30 point difference. Uh, Turkey, Turkey with 45. Turkey is uh, it's, uh, it's also worrisome because it's one of the countries that has uh, experienced a drop in the participation rate, uh, which is not the case, case in all the other economies. Uh, historically, they have very different uh, experiences, but Turkey is it's a it's a, it's a case in point to see what is happening there. Uh, Indian Saudi Arabia, well, Saudi Arabia, we know, is even cultural. Uh, and India, is, uh, the process of development is just not uh, fitting into this uh, yet. Uh, but this is the size of the challenge because we would like to see, like all the bars that you have there, we would like to see them to the top. And that, that's the size of the challenge of how can we activate these incredible amounts of women and resources that the economy has uh, to uh, start uh, kicking off a much more uh, productive uh, uh, future. Um, it's interesting to note also that according to our gender strategy, in all the countries of the G20, and, and not only the, the, the G20, which are the major economies, or the OECD, which has the more advanced uh, economies of the world, uh, but in developing countries, and low-income countries, in middle-income countries, there has been a very steep increase of education levels of women everywhere. I have to say that that's one area in which the world has performed well. Women are attained the school, they reach higher levels of education everywhere in Africa, Latin America. Uh, and therefore, this is another aspect of the equation, because it's not only having women coming to participate or to use their skills in the labor market, but also these are investments that the government has made in terms of uh, 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 giving access to education to all the uh, children, including women, and therefore how we can get a high return for that. Um, it's not only the question of participation. In the G20, we frame it like that because with this international negotiations, agreement, discussion, the simpler you present the case, the easier. So uh, we know that the, that the economic empowerment of women cannot be only related to them being in the labor market, because as in the case of uh, Andrea's uh, home country, Germany, they have 70% participation, but they really are with temporary jobs, uh, lower paid jobs, uh, so the quality of employment is also important. We're not framing it like that, uh, but, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a problem everywhere. And I have to say that in all the G20 countries, there is a, a very big difference in terms of the wage gap for men and women, and the quality of jobs, and the, and the accessibility of those jobs. And it has to do, as I said, with the very different needs that women have in terms of their lifespan and their necessities and, and, the, and the systems that should be in place to support their uh, higher participation. Here, what you can say is what is the gender gap uh, in terms of managers, and if, uh, if, it's a, if it is a positive number, it says there is a huge gap. Uh, the gender pay gap everywhere positive. Uh, we would like to see more negative. And then you have uh, the gender gap in the proportion of the population who reach uh, tertiary education. And there is where you start seeing more negative, which means that women have higher education levels than men in some of these countries. Uh, and it's not that we want to beat men, <laughs> but the fact is that uh, uh, it's a reality that in the education field, women are more and more uh, um, represented. 
Um, one of the of, of the big challenges, even for the uh, uh, general strategy of the of the OECD, is that documenting what the perspectives or what is the performance of women in the entrepreneurship is a little bit more difficult. And we need to do much more uh, research there. You spoke about uh, using the OECD analysis. I think that we would also be very happy to know that Sydney University has gotten into this uh, question of uh, documenting and trying to follow up more closely how women perform in the business sector, uh, not only in terms of access to financing, in terms of uh, growing companies, in terms of uh, managerial skills, all these elements that we have documented for many terms, but that it seems that we still have some uh, gaps in terms of understanding uh, the gender dynamics of in this area. Um, here, uh, what we have is uh, a percentage of firms with female participation in ownership. Um, some improvements, but still not, uh, not great. Um, and then for certain such of firms with a female top manager. And there are some that are like this. Some of these areas are nothing, thank you. No? It's, uh, it's really very, very low. Um, so this is, these are the facts. And so what, what we have been trying to do at the G20 is to see what the, these countries can agree together to uh, try to improve these conditions and to try to take advantage or better advantage of, of women participation. And uh, we were very pleased uh, to see that uh, the Labor and Employment Ministerial of Melbourne that happened just recently <coughs> in early September, uh, all of the ministers agreed uh, that they would um, reduce the carbon cap in participation uh, by 25% in 2025. This is very different. As I told you, uh, for Saudi Arabia, reducing 25% or the, of their 60% gap is huge. Uh, for Canada, it's going to be more difficult because 25% uh, of seven is really very difficult. There, there has to be behavioral uh, understandings and, and regulations, but it's, but it's more complicated. But what is interesting is that uh, this very clear, straightforward, uh, well-documented because we start to do a lot of work in terms of analyzing how would this impact if we consider the labor force and the gap or if we con consider the employment level or we consider so we found that this definition is very straightforward and it takes into account that each country would need to take the decisions they have to take for some countries it would mean changing the tax law and stop penalizing the second earner that usually is women and that happens from some other countries would mean to really widen, widen the, the, the child care facilities. Uh, that is very important for parents that wouldn't see the case, they have the flat system. So the, 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 good, uh, um, the beauty of, of this proposal is that everybody does as they please, but the fact is that, that by 2025, they are committing to reduce uh, the gap in labor force participation by 25%. And I think, uh, as, as I, I was asked to, to uh, present this point in the, in the meeting of the Sherpas, and I told everybody it's ambitious, but it's feasible. If people really get their act together, it's, it's, it's possible to do it. And if you get this 25% increase, you will be bringing 100 million women into the labor uh, forces of the uh, G20 economies. And I think that's a, a huge boost for growth and for, uh, for uh, a better economic dynamic. 
And here, what, what we also show, because uh, the organizations that participate in the G20, including uh, ours, the OECD, of course, we are not negotiating. We have nothing to negotiate. We just help the leaders and the countries with the document, with the analysis, with the, with the evidence of how these uh, decisions will have an impact or not. And this is a beauty because it shows how much you can reduce. You remember I was showing you the, the, the demographic perspective, uh, how it really will turn around the, the reduction in, in terms of the, of the labor participation or the workforce, the total workforce. Uh, there are some countries that are bound to gain more, um, but even Korea, if they continue in the negative, uh, but it's less of, 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 a, of a gap as, as we saw it before. Russia is much better. So, um, and well, Australia is, is again, uh, with the good room to try to improve uh, the representation of women in the labor market. Um, so, as I mentioned, the impact, impact on productivity, I think this is very interesting because what it shows you is that in all the countries, even in uh, Mexico and Turkey, which come from a very low base, uh, the trend is positive in terms of women attaining a, a higher degree uh, level of education, tertiary education. Uh, so, as I said, even for, for the economic rationale of using the resources in which the governments are investing, this is just pretty clear and straightforward. And, and we're, we're glad that uh, the, the participating countries in the G20 are, are finding merit in this uh, argument. Uh, what are the areas? You know better. <laughs> you are the expert. But I think that there are key elements of this strategy that, that countries can pursue. First of all, equal access of good quality education and opportunities to successfully complete schooling. Um, and I have to say, and I always say this because it's, uh, it's really very, very close to my heart. My daughter has just been admitted to the medicine school, and I'm very happy because she wanted to be a scientist, and she's a scientist. The fact is that women do not apply for sciences, do not go for engineering to not go for uh, technological careers. And then we say, what is the gender gap? Yes, there might be a, a labor uh, a market dynamics that, that penalizes women and the pattern of participation that probably you go out and in and then you are penalized. But the fact is that also women are choosing disciplines that are with lower levels of payment. So, and, and why is this the case? It's, it's cultural. It's because the families are not uh, promoting girls. It's because they are limiting themselves the famous STEM uh, section. Well, I think that that's something that all of us need to look because there is when, where the thing gets real. No? We're, we're talking generally about this is real. How every one of you can do something to encourage a young lady to go for science or to go for mathematics or to go for engineering. As I say, it's a question of option. If they want to go for literature, it's fine. But, but the fact is that sometimes this self-discrimination or the social discrimination that happens leads women to take suboptimal options. Um, helping parents reconcile work and family commitments. One of the most, uh, uh, um, and, and Maria knows this because she has worked at length on the labor markets and, and, and the regulations. Uh, the question of uh, dual parental leave. It's amazing. It looks like after it's very straightforward. Why don't everybody have dual parental? Well, because no, they don't. Countries will not approve these things. 
when we were promoting the gender strategy at the OECD, uh, I had a very strong uh, women U.S. ambassador who told me, don't go there. <laughs> this is not, not don't go there. So if, if this is for real, why don't we give men and women the possibility or the obligation to have a parental leave? And then you equalize the market because there will be no incentive to hire or not hire women that are at the freezing age. And, uh, and I have to say, men will be so happy to have time with their children, I'm sure. Um, then uh, financial incentive to promote the equal participation of men and women in the labor market, as I said. This is another aspect that is uh, very important, trying to look for ways to accommodate the different uh, needs for different uh, uh, people. And uh, promoting gender equality and fellowship. These are just the, the headlines of, of very uh, detailed set of policies that the OECD has been promoting. Uh, actually, we will send you the gender recommendation of the OECD because uh, in 2011, in our 50th anniversary, and it was actually Hillary Clinton who headed that meeting, uh, and she pushed strongly to have a, a gender recommendation with very specific uh, policy measures that our members are committed to implement. And so you will hold everybody accountable. And then, uh, just to finish, this is uh, uh, besides the gender discussion, of course, the G20 speaks about many other things. Not only gender, they talk about the global economy. And you will see, I hope that Australia will uh, achieve their very ambitious agenda to get everybody to commit to very strong economic policies to boost growth. Uh, there is this commitment to produce national growth strategies for countries to go, not to go the extra mile to uh, try to improve the perspectives of the global economy. Um, and this is the, the, the outlook, the green part uh, is those countries that have included uh, measures to raise female labor force participation. And this is what we want to see. We don't want to have an special chapter for women or for gender. We want to have a national growth strategy that within many other measures for youth, for uh, businesses, for small and medium-sized enterprises, no, you have also some measures to increase uh, labor force participation of women. Although you have many others that are not including it, I would say that we will forgive uh, France and Canada, because of course they uh, are not doing that bad. But for the rest, I think that we still have uh, some way to go to get them to uh, agree. And so I'll, I'll leave it like that, and I will be very happy to talk to you and hear your comments and your questions about this uh, presentation. Thank you, Gabriella. Um, look, there is so much information in there, and I know that many people in the audience have particular expertise and knowledge, and I have questions. Uh, you probably just touched on a number of issues that people would like more information about and maybe some discussion about, and I think it's now time to open it up for that discussion. Um, is there anyone who'd like to ask the first question or comment? I, uh, my name is Africa Zanella. I am actually uh, on the expert panel of the Sustainability uh, Services from T20. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm, I have been a social scientist, very fortunate position to work on the economy as well as psychology. Mm -hmm. So in that capacity, I have just come back from another conference and another forum. To start all things, to, to, to suggest a different now, this is a continuum of what is happening in terms of 
I can't forget that I knew what you were going to continue to say. But ten, for 10 years now or more, it's been going through a very sort of stagnant global economic growth. I'm just wondering where the OECD neoclassicist model has considered and is considering for the future the whole issue of what is economic growth in relation to society. Where does sustainability fit into it? Where does environment, for example, may, uh, may not belong in the classical economy? He himself didn't believe that we could have unlimited growth. So there are issues, and I understand very clearly what you're trying to say. In terms of gender, I commend Mexico for putting forward those type of declarations where, you know, for the first time we, we actually see women moving forward from the deep wings. So that's a, that is a very good question, I think, about the underlying philosophy of the philosophy of OECD, the philosophy of institutions, mm. and of sustainability, because that's my role. So that's a great one to open with. Um, mm. Would you so a very minor question? Sorry, sorry. 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 sorry, I got confused. No, no, I don't think you're confusing. Come on, we understand the question. Okay. It really is. Well, actually, I was not prepared for that question. No, let me tell you. Uh, Marianne uh, mentioned a very uh, interesting initiative that I also would like you to take a look at the OECD, which is the new approaches to economic challenge. <coughs> and it's exactly what you're saying. It's exactly to say what happened to us. No? How did we crash like this without our models not being clear enough about it? Or we not wanting to change our models or our assumptions being wrong in terms of how growth uh, 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 operates and, and, and gets itself going um, and uh, to learn the lessons of the crisis because we all know that uh, there were many decisions not only that did not only prevent us from this uh, failure and from this big uh, uh, accumulation of imbalances at the end blue in our faces but that it did not incorporate these other parts that you are making reference of which is um, the environment and climate change. And more importantly, another area in which the OECD is working pretty um, strongly is the inequality aspect. Because the truth is that, yes, we got a very um, a strong uh, period of uh, economic expansion that did not trickle down to everybody. It was really concentrated in the most, uh, uh, in the highest uh, income desires of the population. And so uh, we revisited all these neoclassical models. Uh, we revisited the fact that without acknowledging it, we were favoring one dimension of economic growth, which is the efficiency dimension, the, the productivity dimension, the technological dimension, without trying to, without recognizing that growth and well-being is multidimensional. And then it gets very complicated because having GDP as a, as a, as a reference is, is pretty straightforward and nice and clear and when you say, well, yeah, GDP, but what about the other dimension? Uh, what about getting yourself away from the average citizen that does not exist? And what about taking a look at what, how your policies are going to be having different impacts in different income groups or different impacts depending on the uh, environmental conditions or the resource uh, constraints of the economy? So we are in the process of, of building an agenda the first uh, is uh, getting beyond GDP, uh, the well-being agenda. And again, this is the question of how do you put people at the center of economic policy and not only these 
very big macro uh, uh, indicators that we used to have to inform uh, our decisions. Um, and therefore, we have developed the well-being uh, indicators and the Better Life Initiative. And I, I invite you also to get into the OECD page, www.oecd.org. You go to the Better Life Index, and there is an interesting exercise that we hope is going to inform uh, the our countries and the, the, the world, uh, because we couldn't do a composite indicator because we would have to give weight to the different dimensions, and that's not possible. You might value health more than education, or you might value personal security more than, or social connection, or subjective well-being, or, and, and so it really depends on you, and it depends on the country in which you live, uh, which aspects of these equations would you value better, but, but at least to put them all together, because there are 11 dimensions in which income is one, not the only one, as it has always been, uh, but you have all these other dimensions, environmental concerns, uh, uh, health, education, uh, social connections, uh, um, many elements, and we are even trying to capture cultural issues, which is, which is very complicated, very complicated because uh, the reality is that the OECD has also been well known because of the rigorosity in which we treat the information. So it's, it's not as simple to say, okay, let's now move to subjective well-being, or let's do something based on perception. It's, it's very complicated, but we are trying there. And the other aspect is the, is the inclusive growth strategy that was born also uh, from the uh, new economic, uh, new, new approaches to economic challenges. And there we developed the standard of living indicator that is, again, trying to uh, differentiate and see how far the policies that you are taking in, or that countries are considering, governments are considering, are going to have different impact in different income groups. And how we really make sure that whatever growth uh, we can generate will have benefit from the different uh, parts of the society. And to be fair, uh, to take those policies that are going to have much more impact to the more vulnerable. And then you change the equation, because it's not only uh, dedicating resources uh, to education, which is very easy, you know, everybody said, let's put more money into education, but that's not the question. The question is how you spend that money, and how, do you, how many countries, for example, send their best professors to the worst schools? Finland, probably, China, and that's why they get very good results. The rest, no. The rest, you manage your resources, and your best teachers go to the best, to the best schools. And the poor little disadvantaged schools in the margins, of, they get the, so you just perpetrate the, 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 the lack of access to opportunity. So we're trying to build a, a different model. And center stage, of course, is environment. Because uh, 2015, uh, the world needs to come up with a, with a clear agreement, binding agreement, and, and what we're trying to do as we did with the inequality story is to prove how lack of consideration of the impact on the environment of economic growth will hinder growth. Because it's the only way. We have tried to argue that, uh, no, let's keep the nature, we prove that actually the way we're going at the end will result in lower levels of growth. Uh, I think that will help. And this is another uh, research area in which we are working and I hope that by uh, May next year we will have a uh, good results. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next question. Thank you. Um, thanks 
Unit, and I know that President Peña Nieto now established a quota in, the, in Congress, and this is very, very controversial. <laughs> but he did it, so you see that there are people that are moving. Uh, it was interesting because in our discussions with Russia or with Germany, they say, I don't need that. We're fine. 70% participation, why are we talking about it? Uh, and then you get into the nitty gritty. Yes, 70%, but sorry. What is the quality of jobs? What is the gender, uh, the payment gap? What is the, and so, uh, but now uh, I think that uh, Germany really got into the, the substance. Uh, Russia is, well, okay, they were the presidency before, they are not going to be uh, stopping this. Uh, Saudi Arabia, I don't know how, but they joined it, even as I, I suppose it's, uh, lots of this is uh, also not wanting to look that bad. I think that they have. Real, real challenges to implement a target like this. It's just huge, but but they are on it. And, and, and we were listening to a very interesting presentation by the Saudi chef, saying the kind of policies that they're trying to pursue, uh, which is really very encouraging. Uh, China less interested. China is not interested. Uh, uh, I think that they joined the, 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 the consensus, but, uh, but uh, it, it, it's challenging because it's difficult to understand what you really need to do, because it's a, it's a target, it's very complicated, they would prefer to just sign a declaration and say we will do whatever, when you put a target, oh, and when you ask the OECD to monitor the target, it's worse, <laughs> because we will get a very simple base and then we will see how much countries are doing or not. Uh, but at the end, they joined. They joined. The, you, you will see that the, the way it's drafted tells you where the uh, difficulties were. But because instead of saying that the, the ministerial declaration, instead of saying we commit to close the gender gap in labor force participation by 2025%, it says something like we commit to use this as a reference for action. It doesn't matter. I think that it, it's very good that, that this is happening. Um, one thing is to agree. <coughs> Another thing is to cooperate and to really deliver. Uh, but one very good uh, development that I feel is thanks to your Sherpa and to the, to the, to the Australian presidency, who, who Australia has always characterized itself by being very pragmatic, uh, is that they're putting monitoring systems to the commitment, not only on gender, but on the national growth strategy. They are asking us to assess how much this or that measure will yield growth or will yield the results that we want. So we believe that if we manage not only to get numerical targets, which are very strong, but if we put the system in place to continue monitoring and to establish some kind of clear revision, uh, we might make progress. And so I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about it. I know that it's, it's very complicated. I know that even when you take the good decisions, uh, you might lose the, the, the impact because of bad implementation. Or, uh, but just focusing the mind, I think it's having a huge, huge uh, uh, outcome. I hope it will be, and I, I invite you to look for the summit. I hope there will be no surprises, but now it's uh, very well on track to be approved by the leaders. And then, uh, well, it's also for all of you to help to keep any accountable. Thank you. Yes,
but then I wasn't to dinner. Fantastic dinner because it was of a, of a, a group of moms and dads from the school of my children. And I was in the kitchen, so I was not listening to the discussion. And everybody was complaining totally about this thing of a man because, because of course, then you get all this. The, the problem when you get into this level of uh, almost religion is that there are no uh, rational arguments. If, if somebody gets the rumor that, that, that your children is going to become a man, then you take your girl out of the school and you're so scared, and that happens. People didn't send the, the children to school. So I was in the kitchen with my friend who is very avant-garde, no? but we went with the parents of these that are more conservative, and they were very critical. And then somebody said, what do you think of it? I said, that's fantastic! And I was like, oh my god. Okay, let me explain. No? These, these are the kind of things that you need. And then it's a change of mind. And I don't refrain myself to tell my daughter that she's so beautiful. But I also tell her, you're very smart. You can do it. And you're very strong. And you want to play football, go and play football. You see, it's, it's a question of options. And at the same time, let's do the gender policy a human policy. Why men have to fight all the time? There are men that doesn't like to fight. There are men that like to dance. And then when you send them to the ballet school, the poor kid is just all the time being uh, harassed. So, you know, I think that if we, we manage to get this stereotyping out of the way for men and for women, for every single individual to be happy and do whatever they want to do, uh, I think we can overcome this very important aspect. <coughs> Um, that will raise a couple of more questions, I'm sure. So, fantastic. We have about ten minutes, so keep questions short as possible. Thank you. And then, yeah. Board leader of gender equality. Ah. Uh. <laughs> 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 Yeah. <laughs> 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 I find this quite a bad. Yeah. You meant you meant country. I was thinking about our person. Mm. Did you mean country? Uh, if it's a, if it is a country, I think it's Iceland. You're right. Uh, who else can we? It's an that? interesting question, isn't it? Because yeah. this is Sweden. Norway. The Norway. Yeah, the Norwegian. Yeah, the they're fantastic, but they're not part of the G20. Uh, no, but they're part of the OECD, and because we get the best practices from our country. I was wondering that. Okay. We put the, the, the Nordic so Scandinavian. It's true, because talking about the cultural implications, um, and I was talking to the Canadian Sherpa, who is also very strong on this uh, gender target, um, the, the dual parental leave, uh, he was telling me, oh yes, you know, 20 years ago in Canada, we established the dual parental leave, but I never took it, because I wasn't... <coughs> crazy with 20 other things. And uh, then the ambassador from Norway to the OECD, she told me that since ever they have had dual parental leave and that men that often take it are badly seen. So socially they are like, you're not, it's terrible. So the Nordic. In terms of figure, I think that Hillary Clinton is doing a pretty good job. Huh? in terms of documenting, in terms of fundraising, in terms of helping uh, to understand better the dynamics, not only in the U.S., but in Africa and the developing countries. 
And she actually was the one that came to the OECD and said, why don't the OECD take a look at the economic aspects of uh, gender empowerment? Nice question. Thank you. I'm here, here, and then here. Uh, my name is um, I guess a follow-up question about um, cultural Uh, 
Well, just use it. Just use it. I think that, that one of the beauties of the G20 is that they have developed also some, um, uh, uh, they have mobilized different groups to link themselves to the agenda. And there is the T20, which is the civil 20, which is a, a, a group of, of very interesting sets of NGOs uh, that are tracking and tracking and tracking. Um, I would like to see, the OECD is also working on the, on the uh, reform of the international tax rules and the base erosion and profit shifting. Uh, I have seen that the NGOs that are tracking these aspects of multinationals not paying their fair due in terms of taxes have been very effective at, at putting the agenda vocally and, and, and of course it's difficult because they come to the OECD and they say you are not doing enough for developing countries you know, and then they go out and make noise and, and so it's, it's not easy to handle <laughs> but, but it helps. So it, it, to be very practical I would say as soon as this, uh, this helps, <coughs> I would encourage uh, the different civil organizations or institutions or uh, private uh, people to, 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 to organize, to mobilize, to, to, to get that this is really done in practice. <coughs> and to raise your voice if you see that countries that have committed to that are moving backwards. That's the only way. From our part, um, <coughs> The organizations that are inside the, the, the G20 supporting the, the leaders and the uh, countries to um, agree on certain targets, uh, we will be keeping a very close watch. And, and we hope that there will be a, a monitoring and a reporting. And, and that's what we do. Because uh, at the OECD, if you, if you look at the different uh, uh, summits of the G20, we always receive mandates to, to do some analysis of certain topics, but also to track progress. On the, on the commitments that they have gotten. Uh, so, so I hope that we can work together with anybody that is uh, interested um, to, to do a meaningful uh, tracking of the, of the measures and the, and, the commitment, and the delivery of the commitments. I think that's really worth keeping in mind, it's something we might try and track or something. Yes. Hello. Uh, yes, my name is George Take a thousand in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Not take a thousand. We have our users, but we know we're going to run the world. Um, <laughs> um, uh, sorry, I'm probably just being late because I was late getting here, but it's interesting. I heard on the news there's been a big argument and controversy about whether women who are wearing burgers would be banned going to federal parliament. They've just made an announcement that they're going to have a, a separate sitting area for women with burgers, a glass sitting area not reserved for school children that they're going to have a separate screening procedure. That's just announced. I just thought that'd be interesting to let you know about that. But it actually leads into my question, which is uh, talking about cultural change. I said a lot of great dialogue. But uh, about cultural change, because this obviously intimates, I mean, when we're in the burger, you could argue it's an enforced patriarchal cultural thing, um, which is imposed from the male hierarchy. But there are many examples in the wider Western society where women, possibly because of their natural compassionate caring nature, often gravitate towards uh, occupations in nurse care, health care, aged care, social work. So we have to make the rest of quick, sorry, for the time. Which tend to be obviously lower pay, and that obviously skews the, the amount that females are paid because they, they're attracted to what a normal life. But would you, I think I'd argue that the, the, the male patriarchy, in a sense, relies on that compassionate caring nature because they know women will do that because of their nature. So do you think, in a sense, women have that problem in the sense that their own compassionate nature works against them in terms of those? 
as an argument to say it works against them uh, in terms of fighting against that. <laughs> well, I'm just putting it there as, 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 as an argument. Yes, and given the time, are you able to answer? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I, I think that there are many people in the in the public that will be much better at answering this question because I'm not really uh, I'm not very on sociological yeah. issues. Well, intuitively, personally. I think the passionate, compassionate characteristic that is applied to women is a stereotype. I think it's completely, uh, you have very compassionate men and you have very harsh women. So I feel that, uh, I don't know, I, I, I think I, it's, it's my intuitive yeah. idea, I don't know, but, but I think that it's, it's exactly the way you portray human beings almost in a category that should not be fitting everybody. And I mean, that is a huge debate, isn't it? And cause and effect there, and socialization, as you said. Look, given the time, um, and you'll need to get to the airport, we're going to have to close it, which is a pity because it really has raised an interesting discussion and it's made me think, Meredith, that we should put it on the agenda for a future Sydney Ideas event, you know, continue it and do the tracking of what comes out of. The G20. Look, um, before I thank you formally, I do want to remind people that this was a public lecture and um, Sydney Ideas organised by Meredith. Thank you very much. <laughs> and there is um, an evaluation sheet in front of you if you wouldn't mind filling that in and passing that back to us. And on this same topic of women and women's role, um, the University of Sydney is really paying more attention to this issue within our own organisation. And on November 1, we are having, um, it's a Saturday, unfortunately, but we are having an event um, beginning at about midday that will go all afternoon. And you, if you haven't already received the invitation for those of you who are staff here, I would encourage you to, when you get that invitation, to respond and come. We hope it will be a very exciting day where we focus on all aspects of women's working life and our own lives. Um, building up to a much stronger emphasis on encouraging women at all stages of their career at the university to progress. So look look out for that and I hope to see many of you there. Um, but now it's time to thank you Gabriella very much for coming and for really I think moving beyond the OECD statistics and there are lots of other issues that sort of sit there and, and taking our questions and really I think um, allowing us to explore some of the ideas and tensions that are within these sorts of areas, not an easy task to navigate. Um, as the Sherpa, we realise now how much power and influence you have, <laughs> so um, we're looking forward to seeing outcomes from the G20 and wish you all the best in November, of course, when we return um, in and um, attend the summit in Brisbane. So on behalf of Sydney University and everyone here, we'd like to thank you, thank you to our guests for coming. And we hope to see you again. Thank Great. you very much. Thank you.